Spiritual fitness requires spiritual growth, and every disciple of Jesus is commanded to grow spiritually. Peter ends his letter, second letter, by saying, but we're to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And while all disciples of Jesus are commanded to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, the reality is not every disciple of Jesus grows as they're supposed to. We see in the book of Hebrews, by this time they ought to be teachers, but they needed someone to teach them the the basic principles of the words of God. They had come to need milk and not solid food. Now this passage is interesting because this isn't a group of people who were recently converted and had not had time to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. These people had been disciples of Jesus for years. As he said, they should have been able to teach others. They should have been able to take a new convert and instruct them in the basics of what it means to know Jesus and to follow Jesus. And not only could they not do that, they did not even know the basics themselves and needed to be taught the the basics again and again and again. So the question we could have is why then? Do some disciples of Jesus grow into spiritual maturity while others like the Hebrews, like the ones in Corinth, which it mentioned something similar, languish in spiritual immaturity? Well, the answer is that some disciples of Jesus grow to spiritual maturity because they put forth the intentional disciplined effort necessary to grow in spiritual discipline, spiritual maturity. We looked at this last week that we're to discipline or exercise ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We're to be as rigorous about it as we are about bodily training. Bodily training is just slightly beneficial, but godliness is beneficial for all things since it holds a promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Second Peter also tells us that we're to give all diligence to add to our faith. Right? So spiritual maturity is not accidental. It is not something we drift into. We have to put forth the effort necessary to grow. Spiritual health, like spirit, like physical health, requires both input and output. We must not only take in those things that will help us to grow spiritually and be spiritually healthy, but we must also discipline or exercise ourselves toward godliness. The balance of input and output is necessary to produce genuine godliness. Now, if you remember, godliness, as we saw last week, is essentially Christ-likeness. To be godly is to be like Jesus. We all, as disciples of Jesus, we want to be like Jesus. And since we want to be like Jesus, we need to exercise, discipline ourselves to do those things that will produce godliness in our lives. Now, godliness will be seen in several specific ways. Our minds will be filled with truth. Right? The world kind of at large languishes in error and deception of the devil. As disciples of Jesus, we know the truth. The truth has made us free. So a part of being spiritually mature is our minds are filled with the truth of God's Word. Our affections for God will be fueled. The Bible talks about unbelievers having no desire for God at all. Uh, at, at best, they just don't care. At worst, they actively hate the idea of God and hate Jesus But as disciples of Jesus, we begin to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our affections being stirred for God and for the things of God is one of the signs of spiritual maturity. We share Jesus' love as His witnesses in the world. A part of growing and becoming a mature disciple is we then begin to reach out to others and tell them about the Savior who came and died for them. We partner 
with other disciples of Jesus to advance God's kingdom. Right there, There's no such thing as a lone ranger disciple of Jesus. If we're disciples of Jesus, we are meant to partner with other disciples of Jesus, whether through the church, well, at least through the church, but also through other means to advance the kingdom of God. We, as disciples of Jesus, as we grow, we begin to invest in the lives of others. We begin to realize we have something to share, something to teach, something we can do to help these young believers, these unbelievers, either come to know Jesus or grow to be like Jesus. And then we progress, we grow in our holiness. Right. We begin to lay more and more sin aside, begin to walk in the spirit less and less in the flesh. Now, if you look at these, other than progress in holiness, Jesus was perfectly holy. You see all of those in the life of Jesus. Right? As we become more like Jesus, our minds, his mind was always filled with truth. He loved the Lord perfectly. He shared his love and witness to the world. He partnered with others. He invested in the lives of others. He was perfectly holy. But all of that is a part of what begins to happen in us as we begin to become more and more like Jesus. Now, initially, what I was going to do is do a survey of eight major spiritual disciplines tonight that would help us to get fit and to stay fit. Uh, but we don't have time to cover all eight. We're going to do two tonight, and I don't know how many we'll do next week. But at the end of each one, I'm going to talk about what it is um, and kind of give some ways to help make it meaningful. And at the end of each one, I'm going to call on you and call on all of us to make a commitment to do this particular discipline in 2022. So the first is prayer. That uh, should not be surprising that one of the major spiritual disciplines that would help us to get and stay spiritually fit is prayer. Praying to God is one of the great privileges we have as disciples of Jesus. We, we don't have time, but take some time and read like Hebrews chapter 10, where it talks about we're invited to go in to the holy place where God is. Jesus has made this way. Our privilege in prayer is to literally go into the very presence of God and to, to spend time with Him. Now we know God is omnipresent. So He is always there, whether we acknowledge Him or recognize Him or not. But there is something about prayer that makes our hearts, makes our spirits more aware of the fact God is here. He is present with us. Right? This is one of the main reasons we pray, is to help attune our hearts, attune our spirits to Him, His presence, His leading in our lives. So here are some tips for praying. Uh, and we'll talk about this one more later, but focus on God as Father. To me, this was one of the big things that helped me in my prayer life was, I knew God was my Father, I'd been taught that as a child, but when I first got saved, first really committed my life to the Lord and began to pray, I was really concerned about saying the right thing, saying it in the right way. But when I began to think about praying and talking to God as my father, I kind of thought about talking to my dad. When I'm having a conversation with my dad, I don't worry about saying just the right things. I don't worry about being eloquent. I share my heart with my dad who I know loves me and cares for me. Thinking about praying to God in that way, it, it frees us up from formalism, frees us up from something it being awkward as we pray, frees us up uh, and leads us into the realm of a deep, passionate relationship and conversation with Him as we pray. Secondly, pray specifically. Uh, one, I, I've talked about this a lot through the years, but one of the most important ways to have a meaningful time of prayer 
is to pray specifically. Make a prayer list and pray over the list. A list for your family, for your church family, for friends, for things you need to pray for. Create a list. Keep track. When did you start praying it? How did God answer it? What day did He answer it? I have a, a prayer journal and I write down the day I start praying something like a special need. I write down the date, the prayer, and then if God answers it exactly as I prayed it, I put a red check mark and the date it was answered. And I can always go back and look at that and if nothing else, remind myself God answered my prayer specifically exactly on this day. And so praying specifically allows us to see ways God is actually answering our prayers. Uh, another way is to pray God's word. Now, there are several ways to pray God's word. You can just randomly pick a passage to pray through, pick a book of the Bible, like you want to pray through Ephesians for the month of January, something like that. But probably what I would say is the best is the systematic prayer of the Psalms. Right? There's a way to pray the Psalms where there are five Psalms of day. Uh, the five Psalms of the day is a great way to consistently pray God's word. Now, of course, one of the reasons to pray the Psalms is the Psalms are largely prayers. In the Psalms, we find the Old Testament hymnal. We find the Old Testament devotional journals of many of our heroes of the faith. And so what we're doing is essentially we're praying to God prayers he inspired them to write down. I mean, that's a, it's a great way to pray. So the way you pick the, the Psalm of the day is there are five Psalms for every day of the month. And the first psalm, or it lines up with the day of the month. So today's the 29th. So the first psalm of the month, or the day today, is 29. The next is Psalm 59, because you add 30 to it. You get the first one, which is the day, and then you add 30 to it. So 29, 59, 89, 119, and 149. Those are the five psalms for today. Now, I almost always pray one of the psalms of the day. Today I prayed Psalm 29. I want to show you kind of how I did it to give you an idea if you've never prayed scripture before. So turn to Psalm 29, page 425. Kind of what you do on the psalm is you look at each psalm, you figure out just kind of which one resonates with you for the day, and you pray it. And I'm going to read the whole psalm, and then I'll come back and just kind of point out a few things. Ascribe to the Lord, sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in holy attire. The voice of the Lord is on the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon in pieces. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. And the Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sets as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Now, if you notice, the phrase, the voice of the Lord is repeated throughout this psalm. Right? We're told the voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is majestic, the voice of the Lord breaks cedars, the voice of the Lord divides flames, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. So what I did was I, I took and I applied and I prayed this as the voice of the Lord, as the word of God. Right? Now, kind of the way I, I do it is pray in what I call concentric circles of need. 
and that's just a term I made up. It could be anything. And what I do is I start with, with me and my family. And from there, I, I kind of spiral out. So I start with me and my family. I spiral out to our church, our church family. Start out to our community, the churches in our community, our state, other free will Baptist churches, our nation, other people I know. And then through international missions and the world and things along those lines. That's kind of how I go. I think through this as I go through here. So as I begin to, to pray for the voice of the Lord as the word of God for myself, for the church, I begin to pray uh, that as we, as my family, I start with my family, as we read the Bible ourselves, that it would be powerful in our lives. That it would be majestic and elevate our view of God and His Word. That it would break any strongholds we have in our minds and cause our thoughts to be brought captive to Christ. That it would shake us and shock us if, if we needed shaking and shocking. It would cause new things from God to be born into our lives. And then from there, I prayed similar things for our church, that, that the preaching and the teaching of the word, it would do those things in the lives of all who gather here. Then I prayed for those who attend here, who would call this their church home, that as they read the Bible for themselves, this is what it would do for them. Then I prayed for the pastors in our town, that they, as they preach, God's word would do these things in their churches and then through the state and then for missionaries. Right. And so I just kind of begin to, to pray out and about around like that. Now, the reason I like to pray the psalm of the day with these spiral of concern is while I want to pray for myself and my family, I also want to be an intercessor. I want to pray for our church. I want to pray for our church family. I want to pray for our community, our our nation. I want to pray for other pastors and missionaries, whatever else the spirit may lead me to pray. And so praying a psalm of the day helps me to see and pray beyond myself. Because if I'm not careful, the list, and I, again, I have lists, I make lists, but if I'm not careful, all I'll see on the list is, is me and the immediate things here. And as I pray this and begin to think in those sort of terms, the Holy Spirit can open my mind to other ways and other people to pray. And for me, this has been, nothing has expanded my prayer and made my prayer more meaningful, more significant, more life-altering to me than learning to pray a psalm of the day. Now, another way to pray is to pray the Lord's Prayer. What we call the Lord's Prayer can be used as a model for our prayer. So turn to, to Matthew 6, page 737. Jesus said, pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we also as we have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right. So if we use the Lord's prayer as an outline to pray our father in heaven. So we focus on praying to God as our Father, as, as I mentioned. But with this, you can focus on praying to God as your Father, talking to Him. But there's a lot of other ways you can do it. right? So for instance, Solomon talks about being careful when you pray because God is in heaven and we're on the earth. So you can take time and think, gosh, I need to be careful how I pray. right? I need to be sure I'm, I'm reverent in my prayers because this is the God of heaven I'm talking to. Right? Hallowed be your name. So we spend time praising the Lord, praising him, uh, praising him and, and praying that that his that he would be glorified in the earth. He would be not just praising him. God, you're great and you're awesome. We do that. 
But we pray, Lord, let my life glorify you. Let our church glorify you. Let the lives of, of our people bring honor and glory to your name. Your kingdom come. Pray for the lost to be saved. The prodigals to be restored. Broken hearts to be healed. People to be delivered from being enslaved to sin, deceived by the devil. Right? When God's kingdom comes, everything that's, that, the, that was been broken by sin is restored. Right? So the lost are saved. The prodigals are restored. Broken hearts are healed. People are delivered. And they're not enslaved to sin. They're not deceived by the devil. So we pray for those things. Um, your will be done. Pray for God's will in our lives, our church, our community, and our country. We, we can pray God's promises at this point. Because if God has said this is the way something should be, well, that, that is His will for sure, right? So we can pray, God, let this be done. Let that be done. Because I know it's Your will because it's in Your Word. Give us this day. Pray for Your needs. But notice it says, give us. This day, So we pray not only for our needs, but for the needs of others. Even in the Lord's Prayer, the intention is that we would be intercessors crying out to God on behalf of others. So we pray for the needs we know other people have. Forgive us. Uh, confess sin. Seek God's forgiveness. Forgive us as we have forgiven. If we hold a grudge, this is a time to, to let go. And let me say this, and I don't have time to get much into this. But I always want to say with this, when we try to let go of our grudges, depending on what it is, how long we've held it, it may be difficult for us to let go of it. Right? And I think, I think God honors our saying, I'm really bitterly, furiously angry over this, whatever it is. And if it was just me, I don't want to forgive them. I don't want to let go of it. But you've told me to. And in verse 14 and 15, you've said, if I don't, it's going to hinder my relationship with you. You're more important to me than they are. Help me to forgive. I think God honors the, the willingness. God, I, I haven't. And I probably don't even really want to. But I will through your grace, your help, if you enable me. I think God honors that. Um, do not lead us into temptation. Right? You and I, we, we know what we're tempted by. We know the things we give into most frequently, most Easily. So we pray, God, help me today. I'm, I'm definitely going to face these things. I face them every day. Help me to overcome them. Deliver us. Pray for help in overcoming spiritual battles that you're facing and pray for others in spiritual battles. Right? Again, us, it, it's talking about we pray for not just ourselves, but for others. And then for yours is the kingdom. Or I'm sorry, deliver us. And then again, for yours is the kingdom. Some Bibles, some translations. You can't praise with God too much, too often. Begin and end. With that, So we could use that as the way to pray. Just every day use that as an outline. right? Because, I mean, if you think about it, if you begin to pray, Father, and just use that as an outline, you're not going to pray the same things in exactly the same way every day. So using that as an outline will help you to keep it fresh and connect with God. And then finally, pray in love and confidence. Pray in love. In love and confidence. I love Psalm 116 verses 1 and 2. I love the Lord because He hears my voice and my pleas. And because He has inclined His ear to me, therefore I will call upon Him as long as I live. I think these two verses give us such a almost a perfect 
picture of how prayer is supposed to be. God hears our prayers. And that stirs me to love Him. And because I love Him, and because I know He hears my prayers, that stirs me to pray all the more. And it becomes this constant, I know God has heard my prayer. Man, I love the Lord. Can you imagine the great and awesome God bending down to hear our prayers and hear our pleas? And and even, even the image, He has inclined His ear to me. It it pictures him bending down and focusing on us. I I may have told this before, but I I was my Granny Doolin's favorite grandchild by a lot. I mean, it wasn't even close. And no matter how busy the house was on holidays, if I went into the kitchen where she was cooking, getting things ready, and and I tugged on her dress, she would stop and bend down. And she ignored everyone else just to listen to what I had to say. That's the picture there. God bending down, inclining his ear. It's got, we begin to cry out and the sovereign God of the universe leans down and says, oh, oh, Red's talking. What's that? And just listens to us. Man, that, I mean, that stirs love. That stirs a desire to pray all the more. So we pray in love and confidence. So now what I want to do is I want to challenge us to make a, a commitment Regarding prayer for 2022. But I'm going to further challenge us to make a specific kind of commitment. What I'm calling a, a smart commitment. Right? Smart commitments are commitments that are specific. Right? Specific commitments are always better than general. To make a commitment specific, they have to explain exactly what is expected. Make it measurable. The idea with measurable, if that a commitment is not measurable. It's not possible to know whether you're making progress in it or not. Attainable. Stresses the importance of maybe we challenge ourselves in our commitment, but it needs to be something we can actually do. It needs to be relevant. Right? So whatever commitment we make, however we word it, it needs to be something that actually pertains to prayer. And then it needs to be time-bound. Uh, stresses the importance of grounding the commitment In a time frame. So a commitment to pray. A smart commitment to pray. Now, what we're often tempted by, and what you see a lot like with New Year's resolutions especially, are very not smart. right? Because it would be something like, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to pray more isn't a smart commitment because it's not specific. And how do you measure whether you prayed more? Is it attainable? Well, maybe. Depends on how much you prayed last year. You don't know. Is it relevant? Well, yeah, it is kind of relevant because it is praying. But it's not time bound. I'm going to pray more when? Right? I'm going to pray more isn't really the kind of commitment that will help you to grow in godliness. But I'm going to pray for an hour a day before I start my day. Or I'm going to pray for an hour a day before I go to bed at night. Or I'm going to pray one of the five psalms of the day every day. Or I'm going to pray 30 minutes before I start my day, 30 minutes before I go to bed at night. Or something along those lines. That is specific. You know exactly what you're going to do. It is measurable. At the end of the day or the next morning, you can determine, did I keep my commitment yesterday? It's attainable. We can pray these things. 
It's relevant. It has to do with prayer and it's time bound. It's a daily thing so we can look each day and say this is what I have or haven't done. Those are the sort of of commitments, the smart commitment that helps us to grow in godliness. Now, again, remember, we're talking about exercising ourselves to godliness, disciplining ourselves. Discipline is specific. Discipline is measurable. Discipline is challenging yet attainable. Discipline is relevant. Discipline is time-bound. Discipline takes us beyond maybe what we've done to doing something more. It stretches us. We can't grow our muscles always doing exactly what we've always done. It doesn't work with physical muscles. It doesn't work with spiritual muscles. We have to go beyond. And so a smart commitment helps us to grow in godliness. And the other one we're going to talk about tonight is, of course, studying God's Word. Also probably not a surprise. Studies, groups that do that, that talk to churches and talk to disciples of Jesus and find out what has made a difference in their lives, what has caused what causes one group to languish in spiritual immaturity or become a prodigal? What causes another to grow and continue to be a faithful disciple of Jesus all of their days? People who do those studies, no matter where they're from in America, at least in America, no matter what like denominational background they're from, want the number one, one of the top two on the list of what does this, it's always study God's Word. It is always... I mean, I'd like to say it's always one, but it seems like there's another time where it was two. Prayer and study God's Word are the top two that make a difference in whether or not somebody grows spiritually or whether they languish in spiritual immaturity. There is is just no way to be a devoted disciple of Jesus without having a time of studying God's Word. So here are some tips for making the most of our time of studying. Ha- have a plan. Man, there are so many ways we can study God's Word. You can study topics. You can do devotions on, like, version on apps. You can do the daily Bible reading or the daily bread type Bible reading, devotions like that. You can study a book of the Bible out. You can study themes. Or you can read through the Bible in a year. Now, I have my own idea of which one I think is best overall. But the way we do it isn't nearly as important as the fact that we have a plan. I I, I really, and again, this is not one of those things I I think I can say with absolute certainty this doesn't work. But I think I can say pretty certainly that having a time we say, well, I'm just going to open my Bible wherever it falls open and I'm going to read that for today and that's my reading for today. There are times where that's going to be helpful. But I don't believe that's going to produce a steady diet of that kind of random opening and pointing is going to produce godliness in our lives. I recommend having, of course, I like plans. I like things to be structured. So I recommend a plan where you know what you're going to do. The the plan I recommend most is what we put out every year in the the church, the, the Robert Murray Machine Bible reading plan. Now, there, it's a read through the Bible in a year plan. And there are loads of read through the Bible in a year plans you can follow. Um, Our Daily Bread has one in it. If you do that, 
I think the depth devotions may have one in it. Uh, there's, you can do it chronological order. You can do it any number of ways. But here's the reason I like this one. There are two reasons I like this one. First is, if you follow it and if you read it all, by the end of the year, you have read through your entire Bible once. You have read the New Testament twice. And you have read all of the Psalms twice. I like that. New Testament should be a significant focus for us as disciples of Jesus. Psalms stir us to worship. That's a really a good plan, I think. Another reason I think it is a, a good plan is you read in four different places every day. right? So if you start this on January the 1st, you're going to read Genesis 1, Matthew 1, Ezra 1, and Acts 1. Right now, the Daily Bread one, if I'm not mistaken, Gerald can correct me, I think you guys do this one. You're going to read Genesis 1 through 4 or something like that. You start in Genesis and you read four chapters in Genesis. And then you pick up the next day, chapter 5, and you read four chapters in Genesis. And, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's really not. That's a, a fine plan. My issue with that, the reason I don't like that, is because, let's say you, you follow that through and you get to Second Chronicles 1. Well, on the day you get to Second Chronicles, you're going to read Second Chronicles one through four. The next day you're going to read Second Chronicles five through eight. The next day you're going to read Second Chronicles nine through fourteen, nine through thirteen or fourteen. The first nine chapters of Chronicles, Second Chronicles, are not much more than a genealogy. Job beget Jim, and Jim beget Jacob, and Jacob beget Kevin, and Kevin beget. Uh, maybe you're more spiritual than me, but two solid days of reading nothing but people's names and who their, their most important kid was, that doesn't provide a lot of spiritual benefit for me. I, I'm not saying it's not important. It's God's Word. It's inspired. But it doesn't produce a lot of emotional, spiritual depth. But if you're reading a plan like this one, you're reading Second Chronicles 1 one day, but you're also reading somewhere in the New Testament. You're also reading a psalm. And you're probably reading a prophet as well. So there is the one passage that is the genealogy. But then you're also getting something from Paul, something from one of the prophets, something in the Psalms. And, and it, to me, it is you get a more broad range and you don't get bogged down in those sorts of things. Now, that's just me. My dad doesn't like this particular version or this particular plan. He likes the one through four. Uh, each people are different. You just got to find what, what you like, what works for you. So have a plan, though. Whatever you do, have a plan. Second, pray before you read. Right? Before you, the Bible is a spiritual book. It's not a regular book. It, it takes the Spirit of God to illuminate the Word of God to us. So praying before we read, it, 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 nothing else, it reminds us we're dependent upon God to show us and to teach us. From his word. Now, I pray a similar prayer almost every day. My IOUs. Incline my heart to your word. Open my eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. Unite my heart to fear your name. Satisfy me with your graciousness. I pray that plus maybe one or two more things every day before I read the Bible. Doesn't matter if I'm reading in Chron if I'm reading. Four chapters in Second Chronicles, I pray, climb my heart to your word, open my eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word, unite my heart to fear your name, 
Satisfy me with your graciousness. Speak in this time, Holy Spirit. Reveal to me the deep things of God. Something along those lines is what I pray every time. It reminds me I'm dependent upon God. I'm seeking Him for understanding. So pray before you read. Next, focus on the Bible as the Word of God. One of the keys to letting our time studying God's Word connect us with God so we can be more like Jesus is to make sure we focus on the fact it is the very Word of God. Right? Paul writes to the Thessalonians, For this reason also, we constantly thank God when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accept it not as the Word of mere men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which also is at work in you who believe. We call this the Word of God, but it's too easy for us to forget it really is the Word of God. What we hold in our hands are the very words of God Himself. I mean, that, that is powerful and weighty stuff. And so if we come to this, and it's not, I'm Lord over the text, and I'm searching for things to prove my points and what I believe, the text, this is Lord because it is the words of God. And if I, if, if what I believe and what it says are in contradiction, I have to change. If what I'm doing and what it says are in contradiction, then I have to change. If the way I talk and what it says is in contradiction, I have to change. Right? That is, because that's what we want to do. We want to be, we're not going to be like Jesus by being Lord over the text. We're going to be like Jesus by submitting to the Word of God as the Word of God. So we have to find ways to focus ourselves on what it is we're reading. It's not a take it or leave it. It is the word of God. Next, keep a study journal. I am a firm believer in keeping a study journal. A study journal is one of the one of the best things I have ever done in my private devotions. I have a stack of filled out study journals in my study at the house. I have a, a Bible that was a wide margin Bible that I filled in all of the margins. Find a way to take notes. Right. And, and for me, like I'll record thoughts or outlines. I'll pray uh, through it. Write down a prayer based upon it. I'll take a promise and, and write it down. Something along those lines, something I think I need to do in response to it. Now, for me, one of the things writing down does, it helps me clarify my thoughts. Right? Rick Warren says that thoughts disentangle themselves as they flow through your fingertips. I think that's, for me at least, that has largely been true. To, to take it and to say, I'm going to write down this thought from it, helps me to really take it from my mind to my heart, flow out into my life. As you study, look for patterns and repetition. Right? I like to look, and I think they're important because they're there for a reason. Patterns and repetition exist for a reason. John 15 would be a good example. If we were to go there and we don't have time, we're going to look at something else in a minute. John 15, the first eight verses, the word abide is repeated seven times in eight verses. Abide in Jesus. Jesus abide in us. His word abide in us. At the same time, in those same eight verses, the idea of bearing fruit is mentioned or implied about seven times. So if we're looking for patterns and repetitions, we begin to realize... This is intentional. Jesus was emphasizing something by repeating abide or remain in me. He was emphasizing something about fruit and the need of it in our lives. So we could, that, that could become a question. What, 
What is Jesus trying to emphasize? Why is this so important? Things like that are begin to help us grow deeper in our study and our knowledge of the Word. Now, sometimes patterns don't repeat or aren't evident in one chapter. Like if you were to go to the book of Ezekiel, you'd find one of the most common repeated phrases in the book of Ezekiel is a variation of, they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, sometimes it's only once in a chapter. Sometimes it may be four, three or four times in a chapter. But if you look over the whole book, it is repeated over and over and over and over again. God telling Ezekiel, I'm going to do this, and then they will know that I am the Lord. Well, again, that's an important emphasis. Why? What is God doing? Why, does he, why is it so important to Him that people will know He is the Lord? So again, things like this are what helps us to grow deeper in our knowledge of God's Word. Study with application in mind. While a constant time in the Word is probably the number one key to growing in Christ-likeness, there has to be more to it than just acquiring knowledge. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is necessary, but acquiring knowledge is not enough. James 1.22 tells us to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Because when all we do is hear or read, we deceive ourselves. What we read, it must come out in our lives. We study Not just with the intent of knowing something, but with the intent of doing something in response to what we know. And then a final one is ask good questions. Ask good questions of the text. There are many questions we could ask of any passage in God's Word. But here are the ones that I think will always yield the most fruit. Right? What does this passage teach me about God? Right? Jesus, God the Father... God the Holy Spirit. What does this passage teach me about who God is, what God is like? What does this passage teach me about humanity? Right? What is humanity like? What does humanity need? What what is going on? What is just something that stands out in this passage? And then, since this is God's Word, what is one thing I need to do in response? Now, I think these four questions are... Are great. One of the reasons I think they're great is because they they work like some, there's a list of questions you can get from different things, but some of them only work in certain places. It doesn't matter what passage you were to turn to in God's Word. If you were to open up to anything, ask those questions, you could find a list of things. So I want to show you this. Turn to Psalm 23. We'll do Psalm 23 because it's short and because it's familiar, um, but it would work with any passage we were to turn to. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. If you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Certainly. Goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life. And my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. So what what are some things this might teach us about God? Well, I mean, God is our shepherd. Teaches us about Jesus because we know from John 10, Jesus is the good shepherd. So we could say what this teaches us about God the Father. This also teaches us about God the Son. So what does it teach us? Well, he's our shepherd. He's our provider. He leads us in life. 
He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He protects us in the presence of our enemies. He is the one who anoints us. He blesses us. And His goodness follows us all the days of our life. I mean, and that's just a quick thing. So what does it maybe teach us about, or even about the Holy Spirit? You could even probably say, you anointed my head with oil. You could take that and say, well, the Holy Spirit is often uh, symbolized in the Old Testament as oil. So Jesus not only... He anoints us with the Holy Spirit, pours the Holy Spirit upon us to empower us to do the works He wants us to do. That would be a valid thing. Now what might this teach us about humanity? Well, we need to be led. We need to be restored. We we don't know the paths of righteousness naturally. We are going to go through dark valleys. Probably we're going to be tempted to be afraid. We are going to have enemies in our lives. And we're going to die because we're going to be in the house of the Lord forever. So those would be some things. Now, what just something that stands out? Well, you could just pick. I mean, again, just something that to you was interesting. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I think that's a pretty neat idea. It's just a picture of God protecting us and blessing us right in the face of the enemy who can't do anything about it because God is there. That's pretty cool. So then we could say, well, what is since this is God's word? What's one thing I need to do in response? I need to maybe trust the Lord better and work on conquering my fears. I need to be more sensitive to His leading in my life. I need to be more aware of His blessings upon me. Right? I mean, again, any number of things we could take from this. And, and those questions will work in a similar way with everything. You could, you could literally spend hours if you wanted to. Asking and answering those questions from almost any passage you come to. Anyway, so a way you could do this is you can do, I mean, in any number of ways. One or two is the way I would recommend. One, you could ask it of all the chapters you read. Let's say you're reading the Machine Bible reading plan. So you, you get your Bible, you get your journal, you get whatever pens and highlighters and things like that you use if you're like me. And you sit down and you read Genesis 1. And then you ask those questions and you answer them. Then you read Matthew 1. You ask those questions and you answer them. And you read Ezra 1. You ask and answer Acts 1. You ask and answer. And you do that. Or you could read all four. Maybe some days you don't have the time. That that does take time. You don't have time to do it with all the passages. So you read all four and you think... Acts 1, that was really interesting. And so rather than do it in all four, you go to Acts 1 and you ask and answer that from one of the four. right? And, and in doing this, it, it's going to help you to grow in Godness because you're learning more about who God is, what God is like. You're learning to be able to interpret Scripture, to pull out the answers about these things. You learn more about humanity, which, which is us, our needs, our concerns, things God is going to do in our lives. We start to look for things that just stand out and are interesting to us. And maybe even begin to find out why it's interesting, what's important with it. And then there's application. What's one thing I'm going to do in response to what I've read? Anyway, it's, it's good. It's a great way to do it. So the question is, what is our commitment Regarding prayer, no. Regarding studying God's Word. Again, we want it to be specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. Right. So, I'm going to read God's Word more. It's not a smart commitment. It's not specific. 
It's not measurable. It's not really attainable. It's relevant because you're reading God's word. But it's not time bound. So it's not going to produce Christ likeness in our life. Something like I'm going to read through God's word in a year following the Robert Murray Machine Bible reading plan. Or I'm going to read through the New Testament twice this year. Or I'm going to read all the Gospels four times by Easter. Or I'm going to read through Psalms twice this year. Or I'm going to read through Proverbs every month. Those are the sort of smart commitments that help us to grow in godliness and become more and more like Jesus. We all need to take seriously the need to make some sort of commitment regarding prayer. Some sort of commitment regarding studying God's word. Because again, I don't know what 2022 holds. But we're going to have to be spiritually fit for whatever's coming. Whatever the future's there, we're going to have to be spiritually fit. And spiritual fitness requires the discipline that comes from making a smart commitment. To to start off with these two. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. Help us, O God. Take and apply these things to our life. Give us wisdom. Help us to know what kind of smart commitment we need to make. Let us make it. Let us keep it. Make us more and more like Jesus, we ask in his name.